Canaan. It's all about Jesus. It's not about religion, it's about relationships. Where beginners are welcome. Where forgiveness is offered. Where hope is alive. And it's okay to not be okay. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Canaan STL Podcast again. This is Pastor Daniel, and uh, today we don't have Pastor Martin with us. He's on his way back from Senegal, uh, doing a lot of great mission work, and we look forward to his report. Um, but today we do have the the pleasure and honor to be uh, to have as our guest Dr. Alan Branch, who is uh, the professor uh, of Christian Ethics at Midwestern Seminary there in the Kansas City area, and uh, he has been there for twenty years. And he has a, a great family, his wife, Lisa, and two grown daughters, both who are, are still following Jesus. Uh, and he is also an author of several books. And we may address some of these during our topic today, but uh, he wrote the book called Born This Way? Question mark that, that looks at the you know, comparison of how we're born ethnically versus the question, do our people born with that homosexual bent? And so uh, it would be a great read, highly recommend it. Also, he uh, has written a book called Affirming God's Image, which is also available, but he's also currently working on a book to be published soon called 50 Ethical Questions. And uh, so these are great books, highly recommend them. Um, he, these are very thought-provoking questions to be asked and for us as Christians to think through biblically. And Dr. Branch is great. At, is, he's a great thinker himself and a great resource to help us think through some of these tough questions of our days. So Dr. Branch, just uh, give you an opportunity just to a word of welcome and glad to have you with us on today's podcast. Well, I'm glad to, to be with you and hope things are well in South County. And I'm so proud of Marty. He was a great student. And glad he's serving with you guys now. Amen. Yes, that was probably some years ago that Martin was in your class, uh, but you did a great job. We, were, we, we love Martin. He has been a, such a tremendous uh, asset to our church family, to the kingdom, uh, and just to the international mission of God. So we really appreciate all you've done and to, to equip him to now equip us. So thank you for doing that, Dr. Branch. So today we're talking about um, marriage and family and just the various uh, things going on in our culture that attacks that precious institution designed and ordained by God. Um, so just kind of want to start just talking about current trends. Um, I know just, uh, you know, we shared with our congregation just a, about a month ago as we were talking about this, you know, it looks like uh, depending on which, which research, you know, bank you look to that the divorce rates actually start to decline a little bit, but you also see the staggering trend that the marriage rate number of people getting married is actually going down faster than the divorce rate. So um, what kind of trends have you noticed in your ministry that you talk about maybe with some of your students and families uh, that is alarming uh, to the marriage institution in America today? Well, Pastor, your observations are very astute. Let me talk about two data points about marriage in general. The first one is this. The average age of first marriage in the United States is now about 27 for women and about 29 for men. People are waiting much later uh, to get married, if they do get married. But a more alarming data point for us as Christians occurred in 2012. In 2012, that was the first time in the history of the United States that the majority of people right in that marriage window, 18 to 50, when the majority of the people in the United States in that marriage window were not married. In fact, the minority were. Wow. And this is a challenge for us, especially as Southern Baptists. And I'm, there, I know there's all sorts of 
different uh, trends moving in church growth and evangelism, church organization and structure now. But I mean, I grew up in a church where you had age graded Sunday school, get the families, the kids go here, the husband, you know, 20 to 25, 25 to 30, 35 to 40. Right. The assumption is these are all married couples. And then you have this group over here called single again, bless their heart. <laughs> it was, it was uh, uh, older single adults. Uh, but that's not even where the culture is at now. And we, in my class notes 20 years ago, I used to discuss premarital cohabitation. And the assumption was back then that people are living together, but their plan is to get married. But now I just refer to it as cohabitation because many people live together with no intention of ever getting married. And that's not even on their, their radar. Uh, to be very honest, we see some of this here in Kansas City, some of these changing trends with... Um, with the most well-known man in Kansas City, that's Patrick Mahomes. Hmm. And I've been told that that he's a believer. Uh, I know that he has on occasion attended a, it's not a Baptist church, but a church here in town that my daughter actually, my youngest daughter actually attends. And, um, but he and his uh, girlfriend lived together. Then they got pregnant. Then they had a baby. Now they're engaged and they're talking about marriage. And hmm. I'm not trying to throw Patrick Mahomes under the bus, but I think this very talented young man uh, who by all accounts is a you know, very genuine, uh, sincere person. But what's going on in his life is multiplied millions of times around our country. Young people no longer see marriage as a starting point. It's more like a capstone. So right. that's the transition. And the Bible teaches that when you're looking at relationships, marriage is really the foundation where you begin. But our culture now looks at it as a capstone. That's something you achieve later down the road when you've done all these things. Yeah, that's, some great observation. So I know there's many, many variables here, but what, what would you see as maybe the top three or four contributors to this radical departure from the biblical understanding of marriage to, you know, like you said, marriage is just a capstone. It's just, uh, it might be nice, but we don't have to do that. It's not a foundation. It's not a basis. What, what three or four contributors have you seen the last 20, 25 years that have greatly contributed to this radical shift well, I'm really glad you put it in the phrase of three or four different contributing factors, because I actually think there's quite a few. And we I'm a preacher, too. And talking one preacher, or another, we have a bad tendency to say, well, this calls this. We, right. we like to do that in sermons. Right. There's actually four or five things. So if I could walk you through them. First sure. of all, it's the sexual revolution. Yep. What we're looking at today in 2021 is the outworking of what crawled out of Hyde Ashbury in 1967 in the summer of love in San Francisco is a, a fundamental reordering and rejection of Judeo-Christian marital sexual ethics. Conservative Jews and conservative Christians share this in common, and that is a view of heterosexual monogamous marriage and a particular view of sexual ethics. And that has been completely rejected. And the sexual revolution was that I, I joke with people a lot. The only good things to come out of the 60s were the Civil Rights Act uh, the muscle car and the Fender Stratocaster, you know, and once you get past that, I'm, I'm, not, I'm really hard pushed, hard pressed to find. And so the sexual revolution is the outworking of that. Within the sexual revolution, one of the things that occurred in 1969 was when California became the first state to initiate what we call no-fault divorce. Mm -hmm. And I, it's not my goal here to get into an entire doctrine of divorce and remarriage, other than to say that when the nation shifted to no-fault divorce, this is where we get this idea of irreconcilable differences. Prior to that, one had to show cause for divorce. My husband is a gambling addict, and, and we can't eat. My my wife is a drug addict, and 
my husband is abusive or something like that. Right. You had to show cause. Well, no fault divorce is where we get, well, just irreconcilable differences. There was a popular song in the seventies that said this, there ain't no good guys. There ain't no bad guys. There's just you and me. And we just disagree. Hmm. And, and that's how, that's what a, a lot of what happens. And no fault divorce has been bad for marriage. It has contributed to the feminization of poverty because there's a lot of data out there when, when divorce occurs, typically what happens, not always typically what happens though, is the wife gets the children. There's always exceptions of uh, our IMB chair, Paul Chitwood, his, his parents got divorced and his dad raised him. But there's the general rule is it's, it's the, uh, the mom gets the children. When that happens, typically her income's gonna go down because it is very common for men not to pay their child support. Right. And then she has to move out of the house. So there's a lot of disruption going on with the kids when they have to move. Not only are they moving out of the house they were living at, but then they're typically having to change school districts too. I mean, there's just a lot of upheaval. That's a contributing factor. Another contributing factor is what I believe are a lot of things coming out of the great society and LBJ's war on poverty in the sixties. So let me back up and say this as a conservative Christian, this is how I view a lot of the legislation out of the 60s. I'm going to oversimplify for the sake of discussion. Civil Rights Act, yay. War on poverty, boo. Yep. Civil Rights Act, yay. War on poverty, boo. And what happened with this massive expansion of the government welfare state in the 60s is initially what you saw in the first five or 10 years after LBJ's War on Poverty is it did have some poverty ameliorating effects and some good things happened. But the longer these programs went on and the more they've gone on, they actually reinforced bad behavior and it has contributed to the destruction of the family, especially the family in the inner city in the urban core. It, it reinforces a lot of bad choices. And some of these government programs discourage men from taking responsibility for the children, which they father. That's, right. That's a contributing factor. Uh, another contributing factor has, um, has been the, uh, has frankly been contraception. So let me say this very quickly. A lot can be said about contraception. I don't think it's wrong or immoral for a Christian couple within marriage to use uh, particular forms of contraception, you know, to space children or whatever and that sort of right. thing. So I'm not right. saying never use contraception. What I am saying is because contraceptions become so widely available, people are putting off marriage. Yeah. So they're putting it off and putting it off. And now children are seen as a bothersome necessity or, or bothersome intrusion. In fact, I don't even think right. necessity is the right word. Yeah. Other thing that's negatively affected marriage is abortion. Absolutely. Abortion, abortion changes the way you look at women. And so what happens is men now see <clears throat> a lot of men in our culture. It's not true. I mean, there's godly people there going the Lord's way. But for a lot of men in our culture, a pregnant woman is a broken sexual toy that an abortion can fix. And why do y'all want to marry this woman for? I, all I want is sex. And so abortion does that. Another contributing factor, frankly, is pornography. Again, pornography sears the conscience of a nation and basically objectifies women. And so men no longer think of, I want a covenant relationship with a woman that I'm going to love in a tender way and take care of her. But now it's just women are their views. Those are a lot of the factors that have contributed to the decline of marriage. So much. It, well, it sounds like there's spiritual warfare going on against well, uh, the institution of family. Yeah, you, would think there's, you would almost think there's an evil entity that had a plan to really mess people up. I wonder, <laughs> where have I heard of that? Where have I heard of that? <laughs> that is so true, so sad. And uh, 
and we as the church, it, it just happened on our watch. You know, it happened on our watch. So let's just kind of flip the coin in. So what, as the church, I know you you spend a lot of your time equipping uh, current and future pastors, missionary uh, leadership in the Christian kingdom. So what what in, from the seminary perspective, what are what are professors like yourself? What are you doing to equip uh, pastors and spouses to to solidify marriage, to solidify family, to combat against this uh, all out assault against family? That's you know, quite frankly, plaguing ministers too. I mean, there's uh, the, the divorce, quite a few ministers get divorced and fall into sexual failure and immorality and pornography. I mean, I, I don't even want to know the numbers of pastors yes. that are dabbling in pornography. So how, how are the, how is the, how are you, the seminary, how are you positively moving in the direction of reinforcing family uh, to the students you have? Well, that's an interesting question. Let me say it at two different levels. We have an undergraduate program and a graduate program. So let me start with the undergraduate side. What I've learned really uh, for our undergraduate students that come here, many of them are looking for discipleship. And when they get in a Christian, our introduction to ethics class for our undergraduates we made a decision as a school with which I agree. We, we deal a lot on the philosophical side of ethics for about 60% of the semester. The last 40% of the semester for our undergraduates in ethics class, we deal with sanctity of life, sexual ethics, and marriage. That's what we deal with. And what I've learned is these are young people thinking about marriage, and they, they don't know what a healthy marriage looks like. Many of them, they're right. coming out of broken homes. They don't know what healthy sexual ethics look like. They got saved out of a lot of mess. Mm. And what we spend a lot of time doing is talking about what do I do as a single Christian? What does victory look like for me? And, and how, and if I have failed sexually, how can I restore purity? Because there is hope to do that. Yeah. It's great stuff. And, and you can move ahead just because you failed in the past. Doesn't mean the rest of your life has, can be a failure. You can confess, you can repent. God can give you a new start and you can move forward. Amen. That's right. On the graduate side, and then what we try to do is teach them uh, to think very carefully about who it is that you're going to marry. Um, and sometimes I, uh, it's a real balance, right? Because we want Christian young people to get married, but on the other hand, we don't want them to just think, I'm going to rush into this and get married to anyone. No, you need, you're far better to take your time. And uh, to quote a good song from the 60s, Mama told me you better shop around, right? I mean, so it's, it's perfectly fine to say, you know, I'm going to wait for the right person. Uh, my wife and I got married when we were 20, and uh, we've been married 33 years now. I, one of the things that I have a struggle with, especially in those undergraduate classes, is I'm so happily married because I married a wonderful person. And I think sometimes these students hear me talking, they say, oh, I want, I want to get married and be happy like Dr. Branch. And what I have to tell them is, okay. Well, I am happily married. I married a really, really, really good person. So you don't just need to rush into marriage. You need to find somebody of extremely high character like Miss Lisa. Now, the second thing I say on the graduate side, uh, we spend a lot of time coaching the pastors up on premarital counseling. Mm -hmm. What? How do you coach people up before marriage? And listen, I'm sure you've done premarital counseling with people that got divorced. I have. Mm -hmm. I mean, it happens. But I tell you, it's a great first step for pastors to yeah. coach these couples up and to help them prepare for marriage. I think that a pastor who marries a couple without doing premarital counseling should mm -hmm. be tried for ministerial malpractice. I mean, really. Absolutely. Totally agree. And then along those lines, 
I, we stress here at the school at, at a lot of different levels. It's not officially, it's not like Dr. Allen just says, hey, we're endorsing this, but I can tell you at the classroom level, what a lot of us are, are we really find Dave Ramsey's material on money management extremely helpful. Hmm. And uh, a lot of us find it very helpful. If you want to help young couples succeed, man, tell them before I do the wedding, you guys are going to finish the Financial Peace University. Hmm. Uh, so if you do a pastor doing premarital counseling about what a marriage is and, and how you write, you're going to have arguments and what do you do when you get mad at each other and how you forgive each other and how do you create a culture of purity and faithfulness and fidelity in marriage. And then on the other hand, you've got folks in the church teaching those financial peace universities. This is how you manage money because so many of those arguments come out of money. Hmm. So I think those are two things at least that we, those are not told. I want to say one more thing I think churches should do is we're going to have to teach our young people more intentionally about what marriage is at younger ages. And we got to, we're going to teach them about gender stuff too at younger ages. Yeah. I know it's uncomfortable. We're going to teach our 10 and 11 year olds what the Bible says about gender. Cause listen, they are all looking on these, uh, these smartphones and they've got the, the, the devil is, is talking to them through these things. Yeah. But you, right. you remember uh, several years back, everyone's doing true love weights. Yep. Okay. That's not a bad program. Yay. True love weights. God bless uh, the program. I think that's a good first step for us as Baptists, but we need to, I would suggest, go back, rework that material and think more than just a big weekend where we challenge young people, but to come up with some curriculum uh, beyond just challenging them to purity, which we want to do. That's a great first step. Yay, do that. But right. then to, to disciple them in a very intentional way as 13, 14, and 15-year-olds, this is what God says about marriage. And as you move forward, this is what the ideal you need to have in your mind as you move forward. Hmm. So those are some of the things I would suggest. Yep. Amen. That's good. So, um, yeah, you mentioned a few of the things you'd like to see, you think churches could do uh, to help. Um, uh, any other thoughts as far as, you know, church family? So we have church members listening to this, um, right. that some are leaders, some are new. Uh, but what if you had some counsel to give husbands and wives, you know, listening to this podcast right now, say, Hey, look, here's three simple things that you can start doing right now that would greatly benefit and build your marriage to be a Christ-centered marriage. Right. The first thing I would say is, and this is going to sound like Sunday school, but I, I mean, this is gravely and as soberly and as, as earnestly and as urgently as one seminary professor slash Baptist preacher could urge people to do that is have your family devotions. I mean, read the Bible together and pray together. We we used to have that bumper sticker and people laugh about it. Oh, the family that prays together stays together. I'll tell you, statistically, there's a lot of data behind that. Absolutely. That couples, that couples who get on their knees and pray together and they go to the Lord together, man, it makes a difference. Amen. And I'm telling you, it makes a difference. Pray together. And men, I know you're going to feel awkward and it's going to feel weird. But uh, you, you need to take your wife's hand and say, sweetie, you haven't prayed together this week, and we're going to do it tonight. We're going to open the Bible, and uh, we're going to read the Bible, and we'll pray, and have those family devotions with your children. And they're going to kick each other, and they're going to throw stuff at each other. And, I mean, it's uh, okay. I think the Latter-day Saints is complete heresy. But what wonderful commercials, right? I mean, <laughs> that's right. Okay, right. listen, your family yep. devotion time is not going to look like an LDS commercial, right? I mean, they're going <laughs> to be throwing things at each other, and, and it's going to be uh, because uh, you mentioned the devil earlier. I mean, he does not want a family to pray together. The second thing I have to say is 
uh, you have to realize the devil is after your family. So first of all, pray together, stay on your knees, read the Bible together. I, I would just listen. I know we have these ideals. Pray together every day. I say if a husband and wife can square away one night a week, that's going to be our family devotion night. Man, that's a long way to victory. Amen. Well, a few couples do that. And I think it's very doable. It's an achievable go. Man, it's Tuesday night's our night when we do that. Thursday night's our night when we do that. We're going to spend 30 minutes reading the Bible, praying together. Okay. Second thing I would say is realize you have an enemy. Mm-hmm. And uh, when Jesus talks about Satan, he's not referring to some metaphor for the idea of evil that's in the world. No, he means a literal entity, a fallen angel named Satan who's coming after you. And he's got a lot of demons with it. And, and if you don't appreciate the degree to which you have an enemy, you're setting yourself up for failure. You need to be situationally aware. And I, we battle with principalities and powers in high places and Satan's coming after the family. So just be aware that you have an enemy and you, you have to be very, very cognizant of that. Third thing I would say is to be aggressively uh, like a sanctified pit bull about the media that comes into your home. Absolutely. The world's going to lie to us through TV and online and everything else. I mean, you just have to make some decisions as a couple. You know what? There's going to be some stuff we don't watch, some music we don't listen to, some movies we don't see. And I know I sound like an old-time fundamentalist preacher, and I'm not saying don't go to movies and don't watch TV. What I'm saying is you have to exercise some real discernment, and a failure to uh, exercise discernment is an invitation to tremendous failure. So I'm not saying don't go to the movies. What I'm saying is go to that website plugged in online. Have you heard of that, Pastor? Absolutely. It's a great website. It's a great way. That's a help. Okay. Well, before you just go see a movie and let Hollywood hit you with whatever, go to plugged in online, make a mature decision based on what the content, and then you go make an entertainment choice that's conducive to the sort of success that you want. That's right. Yeah, things like that. Absolutely. So just to inform our viewers, our uh, listeners, PluggedIn.com is a great Christian website that actually will go through and evaluate every movie that comes out, movies that have been out a long time. So before you watch a movie on Netflix, you can do this too. It That's gives right. you right. it gives you all of the, you know, the pros and cons, spiritual messages in those movies, things to watch out for, any you know, number of cuss words used, yeah. uh, number of inappropriate sexual scenes. I mean, it's just a great resource to screen the movie before you or, or your kids watch those. So yeah, great resource, Dr. Brands. Yeah, thank you very much for that. So, um, so uh, just you know, what maybe maybe one one last question. Um, so, we, you know, every time we talk about marriage in churches, um, it's 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 so important to talk about. It's such a biblical front and center issue to deal with. But you know, inevitably, in the culture in the days that we live in today, with like the higher divorce rates and it, and all the um, you know, just all the sin that goes on. Marriage sermons are really difficult for some of our congregation members to listen to because they've been through a divorce or because they're they're single. They want to be married, but they just haven't found that perfect person yet. Um, so what kind of encouragement can you give to our church body or listeners? Um, so, you know, the next time they know a marriage sermon's coming, they're like, oh, I'm going to skip that day. Or, you know, what, what uh, how do you, how, how can you help us address our church members who struggle and really don't enjoy the the marriage sermons because of pain that the concept brings up. And, you know, maybe some of our ladies don't have a believing husband or a husband who's not leading in the home or a vice versa. Maybe there's a husband who has a wife who's, you know, very belligerent and not submissive in a biblical sense, et cetera. So how would we, how could you help us address that issue in our church family? 
That's a great question. So let me talk to two people, uh, two groups of people, maybe. Let's talk about single adults, and then let's talk about divorced adults. How about that? And okay. Maybe, so okay. to single adults, first thing I'll say is embrace your singleness. Uh, celebrate it. Rejoice in it. And someone says, yeah, but what is it? I, I, I want to be married, and I'm not. And what's so good about singleness? Well, I mean, you might look at it this way. Right now, you have more money than you would if you were dating. So, <laughs> <laughs> That's true, amen. <laughs> or we have children. I mean, because every child is a financial crisis. Every Absolutely. child. <laughs> I've got seven, so I totally understand. Right, and, I, and, I, I am, and I'm pro having babies. I'm just saying that they're all cause. But in all seriousness, learn to embrace your singleness and learn to rejoice in it. And to have an appreciation of the fact that a lot of people are married and the pastor has a job to do. So if you could just come to it realizing, hey, listen, my pastor's got a job to do and and he needs my support. And I want to encourage him because I know I'm not married. And man, for whatever reason, uh, it hasn't been the Lord's will so far in my life. But I know he's got a job to do and I want to support him in that. And I want to encourage my pastor. To divorce people, here's what I would say is, man, divorce stinks. I, I understand that. Yeah. And the Bible understands that. And pastors understand that. We care about people and we want you to find grace. And uh, the pastor still has a job to do. And to try to appreciate that when what we do is we, we preach the standard. And this is how I view my job. And now I'm talking as a pastor and not so much as an ethicist. But the pastor's job, I think, is this. When we preach on these topics, it's almost as if as a preacher, we're at the top of a cliff saying, don't go over this cliff. Hmm. If you go over this cliff, it's really, 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 really going to hurt. And we don't want you to go over this cliff. Please don't go over the cliff. Yeah. So when pastors preach a marriage sermon uh, and we touch on divorce and all those things, what we're saying is please don't go over the cliff. Then what we want to do as a preacher and a pastor is for those people who have gone over the cliff and they crashed and burned at the bottom, we're waiting down at the bottom with an ambulance called grace full of gas. Amen. And we've got the ambulance of grace full of gas. And we're here to show mercy to those who've gone through this. And I think that would be my approach. And, and for everyone in the church to know, Hey, this is how the pastor's coming at this. Please right. don't go over the cliff. If you do, we've got an ambulance called grace at the bottom of the cliff. Yeah. Amen. That's well said. I love that illustration. Dr. Branch, thank you so much for yeah. spending just a few minutes with, with our church family today on podcast. Uh, you've, been a, you've been a tremendous blessing, and I know you have been to Martin for many years, but uh, thank you for blessing us today, and blessings well, to you and your continued ministry as you equip yeah. pastors and missionaries and families to take the gospel to the nation. So thank you very much for all you do. Well, thank you. I really enjoyed being on here. I look forward to meeting you in person. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, that concludes today's uh, Canaan STL podcast. Uh, we'll see you all Sunday and uh, next week on the podcast. God bless.